Three simple words, yet are, are life-changing. The words that Jesus loves me. We've been singing since we were children. And somewhere along the line, those three words become so powerful that it changed the whole course of our lives. Not only on this earth, but in eternity. And we can be so thankful this morning that Sarah believes those three words. And so while her brain is dead here on earth, it's alive in heaven. And it's learning things and it's experiencing things that it never could experience on this, on this earth. Those three simple words cause us someday in our life to say, Jesus just doesn't love me, but Jesus loves others. And so I know the prayer of the family is that as these organs are given to people, that they would know that Jesus loves them. That's why we also take the trip to the DR, so that children would know that Jesus loves them. This idea that Jesus loves others is also why we are so connected in our community to love people and to know that Jesus loves them as well. For certainly, those three words that Jesus loves me cause us to live the rest of our lives saying the three words that Jesus loves others. And they have been huge motivations in the life of our church. And we should be commended, we should be encouraged as we continue that journey of people to know. And it's interesting, as Becca was sharing with me yesterday, it's interesting that while a family is grieving the loss of their daughter and their cousin and their friend, there are people praying for an organ that their child might have life. And the prayer is that as people may now have life on this earth, that they would also have that eternal life. Because Jesus loves others. And so this morning, I would like to share with you, take you on a journey that's been called the greatest love story ever told. That sounds kind of cliche-ish. But I'd like to tell you a story that started long, long time ago. In fact, we could say once upon a time, a long, long time ago, before the history of this world, God loved. God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit had such intense love for one another, such intense unity and peace because of this love, that they had this crazy idea. Hey, let's create humanity that they too can share in this intense love. And so God created a perfect world, a perfect earth, perfect humanity, and they enjoyed such intense love. But God, being God, knew that if he required humanity to love him, then it truly wouldn't be real love. So he gave humanity a choice. And humans decided that it wasn't enough just to love God. 
And they had to add rules and policies into that loaf. The first one being, oh, if you really want to arrive, you actually have to eat this fruit. And then send into the world. And we have recorded right after that the first unloving thing that happened among humanity. A brother kills another brother. And this goes on. And what happens is at some point, God is so grieved that he made humanity, he decides to wipe it out with a flood. Except Noah and his family. And also because God would never truly give up on humanity. So there's the flood. And humanity, in a sense, starts over with Noah and his family. And God came along and realized, okay, what I'm going to need to do is to help them know truly how to love one another. So he makes a covenant with Abraham and all of his descendants and demonstrates, you know, this is what a love relation looks like, not only with me, but with each other. And Moses, um, sorry, sorry, Abraham, and and what happens is, um, well, humanity doesn't do so well in loving one another and also loving God. It became very conditional. It became very if-then, then-that. And so God decides that he wants to give them a very specific set of rules that, hey, this is what it means to love me and love others. We know them as the Ten Commandments. There are also rules for the nation of Israel to know how to live and not only live with one another in their relation with God, with each other, and also to strangers and aliens. Well, humanity took those laws and um, they made them conditional. So they no longer were a way to point us to know that Jesus loves us and Jesus loves others, but they came conditional on whether or not you could be loved by God or be loved by others. And so in the Old Testament, certainly the prophets, we have, you know, story after story where God says, I I want to enter in love relationship with you. And humanity says, okay, then let's follow these laws so God loves us. In fact, at one point we're recorded and the most amazing verse, probably one of the most scariest verses for me is in Amos, and I think I used this verse last time I spoke, where, where God says, your festivals, basically here's what he says, Chuck Holt version, all the policies and procedures that I created for you to follow are now detestable to me. He says, when you get up and you sing worship, I cover my ears. When you bring me your choicest fellowship offerings, not just some junk, but the best thing you have to offer, I reject it. Because you missed the point. It's about me loving you and you loving others. And so this went on. In fact, it went on so long that all of a sudden we have what we call the 400 silent years, right? Well, we don't, we don't even know if God's forgotten about humanity or not. And then, and I may have shared this story with some of you. I may have shared it with all of you. I couldn't find it in my notes from my last couple sermons. But, uh, but, and then all of a sudden, <clears throat> there's this scene in heaven You won't find it in the Bible, and you won't find it in the apocryphal books, but it existed. Where God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are lamenting, like, how do we help humanity know how deeply we love them and how much we want them to help others know that we love them? And so there's this conversation that more and more people are gathering around, 
you know, and um, Abraham's there, and he's like, well, just make a new covenant. And like, oh, no, no, the, the, the covenant still exists. And Moses like, well, do what you did to me. I mean, you, you, you made me go up. Tell me that wasn't scary. Up on the top of the mountain, right? <laughs> and then you wrote these, and then I know I lost my temper, and uh, then we had to do it all over again. And, uh, and then the, the different people that are gathered around are like, no, nah, that won't work, that won't work. And then all of a sudden, Jesus has the really out-of-the-box crazy idea. And everybody's kind of, you know, they're on the marker board, and they're listing all these ideas. They're brainstorming, right? No idea is dumb. And then finally, Jesus says, here's one. Why don't we go back down and live among them? And the Holy Spirit doesn't say much. And he kind of just gets in Jesus' head, right? And he's like, hey, man, you're the one with the dumb idea. Like, I think you should be the one who volunteers. And so Jesus said, all right, I'll do it. And he came down. And we know the story, right? He was born as a baby, and he lived among humanity. And all through his life, we see this contrast to, you know, this is the way humanity was operating, how you judged people and how you accepted people and what the qualifications were. And over and over again, Jesus interacted with humanity and said, no, I'm going to love them. The children, don't let the children come to Jesus. No, let them come and love them. Hey, what about this woman? She should be, she should be stoned. No, I'm going to love her. Hey, what about this person? No one is allowed to touch him. What do you think? Oh, I'm going to touch him. I'm going to love him. And then Jesus is in front of the 11, because Judas had already left, in the upper room, and he says this, and he blows them away. He doesn't blow us away, because we're not Jews living in that period of time. And he says this, I now have a new command for you. I've lived among you. I've walked this journey with you. And now I have a new command that I want you to follow. And here's what he says. Love others as I've loved you. It's as simple as that. So Jesus left earth. And I wonder, and, and, uh, I wonder if 2,000 years later, there's another scene in heaven right now where God, and Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and Abraham, David, you, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, you know, and uh, people are sitting around and they're like, what should we do? Because we haven't replaced it with laws like they did in the Old Testament, like the Pharisees did. But we've made God's love so conditional. You see, as a child, I sing this song. And maybe you did as well. Anybody sing that song as a kid? Yeah. And what blew me away now that I'm an adult is I realized that I learned that song in a church that also had their mantra, their favorite Bible verse, was come out from among them and be you separate. And I didn't realize then what a paradox that was. That Jesus loves the little ones like me, 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 but let's not be around them. In fact, this church taught me this mantra that up till not too many years ago, I realized how, how unhealthy this is. I used to say to my kids, because this was said to me by people in my church, don't smoke or chew or hang with those that do. Now, 
hey, don't smoke, sounds great. Don't chew, yeah, it's probably not a bad thing. It is a bad thing, sorry. Some of you are like, seriously? <laughs> or hang with those that do? Doesn't sound like Jesus, right? He hung around, that was his name. He was nicknamed, friend of sinners. And so, here's what I realized. 2,000 years or so after Jesus said, love others as I've loved you, what we really think he meant was that Jesus loves the little ones that are like me, that talk like I do, that use money the same way I do, that have the same skin color that I do, that have the same religious views that I do, that believe that the creation story Right, that believe all the tenets of the faith that I believe, that have the same definition of marriage that I do, that believe in the same sexual orientation that I believe in. And so now we say, Jesus loves the little ones like, that eat like me, that look like me, that talk like me, that believe what I believe, that have the same religious views, same sexual orientation, same this, same that. He loves those. We believe that Jesus loves me. We believe that Jesus loves others. But do we believe that Jesus loves the ones that I don't love? Or I can't reconcile how they could be that way in my mind. Because when Jesus said, love others as I loved you, think about the 12. Think about Matthew. Matthew's sitting there. And all of a sudden, he starts playing the time that he met Jesus, right? And Matthew, we know this, and I, I know Timus has, I preached on it. Matthew was a tax collector, right? And he was extorting his own people and was in with the, with the devil, you know, the Roman Empire. And he would set up this booth so when people came through, they had to pay, even if they didn't do it. He had his two bodyguards next to him. And when you came up, to, you had to get, you know, to the other side of him and go on your way. And he would make you pay something. If you didn't have it, his bodyguards would shake you upside down. And they might take you off and beat you. I have a wild imagination, by the way, yeah? Paraphrase. And, and, and then he's sitting there trying to make some big money because the crowd had developed and he sets up his little booth there and he sees the people coming and he sees that, oh, here comes a teacher of the law. Now, back then, teachers of the law had a lot of money. And I know he's thinking, well, I can't get it out of this guy, but that next guy, he's going to have to give me a lot. And he goes up and he's just about to say something and Jesus looks at him and says, paraphrased, hey, want to be my friend? The Bible says that Matthew just dropped everything. Can you imagine? He didn't stuff his pockets full of extra money, right? He didn't take his jacket, and he just got up and walked away and followed Jesus. And then invited him to his house with all so many people there that weren't the kind of people you and I hang with that the Pharisees were asking the disciples, why, why would he, does he not know who these people are? Why would he wine and dine with these kind of people? Because Jesus loved others. He loved the others that nobody else would love. And so Matthew's thinking, oh, okay, that's how you want me to love. And that's how he wants you and I to love. He wants us to know that Jesus loves us. And he wants us to know that Jesus loves others. But he also wants us to know that Jesus loves the others that we don't even love. And I don't want to be too tough on you today because... We're doing great things in our church. We should be proud of ourselves. Like we are, we are showing people in our community, in our country, and all over the world that Jesus loves them. But if I would do some introspection, I wonder how well I'm doing at loving people that don't 
see the world the same as I see it, that don't have the same beliefs or standards as I do. And so what I'd like to talk about is five reasons why I think we don't love others. Not, not others as in the lost, but others as in the people that have a different political view or a different sexual orientation or a different belief or a different this or a different that. Why I think it's a struggle for Christians today to love them. Here's the first one. Because we're afraid to get messy. Because we know if I were to walk alongside and love somebody who has a world belief system that I think is not true, it's going to get messy. If I come alongside and walk the journey with somebody that has a different view of what makes a marriage than I do, it's going to get messy. We struggle today, by the way, for the first time in history. Relig- uh, politics is more divisive than religion, right? We struggle to even have a conversation with somebody that believes a different political view than we do because we don't want to get messy. So you know what we do? We block them on Facebook or we just don't let our kids hang around their families, and we create policies and procedures designed to help us not get messy. Because if we really believe that Jesus loved the people that we didn't love, we know that it would require us to get very messy. So what does God say about it? From the very beginning, God's message has been love one another. From the very beginning. Now, I didn't write this. This isn't a paraphrase. That's why I put it up here so you would know, yeah, Chuck's just made. This is right there from Scripture. Here's what it says. You want to know who children of God are and who children of the devil are? Well, stack them up. The ones that love are children of God, and the ones that don't love one another are children of the devil. I'm not sitting here telling you, standing here telling you that you're the child of the devil. But I'm telling you that if you want to know what, you know, the, the, what the, the lineage looks like for people that are children of the devil, they don't love one another. So the first reason that we have is I just don't want to get messy. And God says, you're confused because from the very, very get-go, this story that started a long, long time ago, it was all about getting messy. And if you want to know the people that follow God are the people that are willing to love one another. The second reason, we're too busy. We're all busy, right? We're all so busy doing all the things that we need to do for us and our family. And I'm not knocking that. You know, we have verses that talk about what it looks like to not be busy. We have examples in the scripture that says, you want to you know how to live? Go to the ant house, slugger, consider its ways, right? See how I kick back into King James? You know, you can tell the verses that I was a little child, right? We're all too busy. And so it's very easy for us to say, well, I'm working too hard. I'm troubleshooting too many things at my house. You know, there's a book out called The Art of Neighboring, and I met the author of that, and he has a little exercise in this book that he challenges people to do. Take a tic-tac-toe diagram, put your house in the center, and name the people that are across from you, diagonal to you, side from you, behind you, and backwards diagonal. And the research has shown that most people can't name more than three families. And the number one reason? I'm too busy. I'm too busy to know my neighbors. What does God say about that? God says it's not an option. God doesn't say, hey, if you want to be a believer, my suggestion is that you uh, spend a little time loving one another. No, it's actually a command. 
See, if you're a believer, like that's our manifesto, right? It's a command that we have to love others. In fact, we have to love them as Jesus would love them. Reason number three, it's hard to see past their fill-in-the-blank, right? See past their mouth. See past how they make the decisions they make. See past their views on this or that or this. We tend to hang around people, ready for this, that believe the same thing we do. We tend to read books, nonfiction books, that are about the same things that we believe. We tend to listen to podcasts that will support what we believe. By the way, an interesting thing I challenge you to do if you're a podcast listener is to start listening to podcasts on subjects that disagree with what you believe. Very enlightening, very sharpening. But it's very difficult for us, myself included, to see past people's whatever. What does God say about it? I love this verse. Because you know what? When people have issues and they wrong me, then I hold that against them. Maybe somebody hurt me by the words they said, maybe by the actions they said, maybe they represent something that is detestable in my eyes. And so it's very easy for me to hold that over them like a debt. Like a, you won't be in good relationship with me until that's done. And so I love this verse where it says the only debt that you should ever hold against somebody or the only debt you should ever have is the debt to love one another. Think about that. The only debt I'm ever to owe you is not to fix something that I've wronged in your life. Stay with me. I mean, we can address that another time. But to continue a debt to love one another. So I owe you, every day I owe you, to love you. I wake up in the morning and all the wrongs are righted, and God says, you still have a debt. Love people as I've loved them. That's the only debt that we're supposed to carry with us. It's not to make all the wrongs right, or to do all the paybacks, or to demand things to be reconciled. What this verse says is that the one debt that we are to have continually is to love one another. Now, number four, we have issues. Not only do people have issues, and it's hard to see past their issues, but we have issues. Every one of you, ready for this? You're a hot mess. <laughs> Don't start stoning me yet, because I'm a hot mess too. We are. It's only to the degree in which we're able to hide that hot mess from others. Some of us, we get really good at that. So we come here Sunday after Sunday. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Every once in a while, we say, not good. Have you ever, somebody asked how you were, and you said not good, and you realized, oh, they really didn't want me to go there, right? Because we created this world, both in our culture as well as in our church subculture, you know, that it's not okay to have issues. And so we keep them to ourselves. A few years back, I was hanging out with, well, this is going to sound bad, I wasn't hanging out with, I was with, you know, two of our volunteers at the youth center. And um, they were arguing. And here's what they were saying. Well, our family's drug bigger than your family's drug. They're like, well, no, 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 no. Our family's drug is bigger than your family's drug. And they went back and forth. No, no, I believe you. Are. And I'm like, what are you people talking about? And here's what they said. We're talking about which one of our families sweeps stuff under the rug more than the other. 
you know? And I was like, oh, see, I grew up with a hardwood floor, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, just, it was just all there. But we do that, right? We sweep on the rug. And one of the hidden rules of our culture is you don't tell other people about the family's problems until it blows up, and then sometimes we have to. But one of the reasons that we have for not loving other people is we have issues. Well, what does God say about our issues? Best way to deal with your issues is to love one another. That's what this verse teaches us. Because that love covers a multitude of sins. So I'll pick on Greg because he's right here and he's dozing off. Just kidding. He's like, I'm not. Oh, sorry. He was praying. Yeah, for me. Yeah, please, please. If Greg's wronged me, right? And I can love him then that love can cover a multitude of sins. And he's going to respond to me because I'm not going to now wrong him back. We all have issues, and the best way to deal with the impact of those issues is to love one another. Reason number five, because being religious is easier than being relational. Right? It's so much easier. It's so much more concrete being religious, right? At the end of the day, was I religious? Well, did I read my Bible? Did I pray? Right? As a kid, do you also remember that song, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 right? And little kids start down really low, right? And we'll grow, grow, grow. And then you know the second verse? Something about if you don't read your Bible, you don't pray, you're going to shrink, 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 right? And you go back down. Well, who wants to live that way? So I got to read my Bible, and I got to pray. I got to give. I got to volunteer. I got to go on a missions trip with the church. I got to figure out what it is. Are those things wrong? Absolutely not. But those are religious things that we do to make sure our religion is right. The relational thing is a little harder to check when I go to bed, right? That I love other people as Jesus would love them. Well, not so much. But I prayed. Did I show care to somebody that I disagree with their views? Was I able to interact with them and build a relation with them despite the fact that our world is on different planets and what we believe. Well, n- no, but I read my Bible. And it's so much easier to be religious than to be relational. What does God say about it? God says this, you know what? No one's ever seen God. No one. But if you find somebody that's loving one another, now you've seen God. If you want to know who God is, then start, li- and want to know what God's all about, then start living in a love relationship with other people, especially people that is hard to love. And you'll get a glimpse of who God is. So what excuse do you give? When I look at this, first I gave myself a free pass. I'm like, well... I'm only three out of five. Got the other two down pretty good. And then as I looked at it again, I'm like, well, actually, if I'd be honest, I'm actually four out of five. And as I looked at it again, I thought, okay, fine. I'm guilty of all five. (laughs) I use all five as an excuse. Some of those not so much, and others. Some of those are, boy, they're really good excuses for me. We've looked at verses that answer all five of these, so here's my question for you, for you to just think about by yourself. Which one of these excuses do you give to not 
love the person that is hard to love. Teenagers, it might be somebody in school, right? There probably is somebody in school. Somebody that you know that, oh, me and my friends, we just don't hang around them. Why? Well, because they're different or because they're weird or because, well, do you know what they say? You know how they talk? You know what they believe? You know what their parents are like? Well, it's not just teens that do it, but it's adults that do that, right? We think, well, I don't know. I'm busy. I don't really have time to get messy. I mean, have you seen their lifestyle? I wouldn't be caught dead hanging out at a bar with them. They're going to get drunk. Now, I'm not suggesting you go out to bars and hang out with people, but hey, maybe. I would never go to a wedding with somebody that's gay. I'm not saying go to it. Okay, I'm not, I'm not land, telling you where I land on these. I'm just saying that it's very easy for us to say, oh, I love people. I know Jesus loves me and I know he loves others and I'll tell that love to everybody else until this gets in the way. And then nope, nope. What's at stake if we don't? Let's share out loud. If we don't love others that we don't like, that are different than us, that have different views than we do, what's at stake? Somebody want to shout it out loud? Say it again. Yeah, somebody's opinion of God. What else is at stake? Say it again. Shootings at school. Yeah, by the way, you know I have 25% hearing loss in both ears. You know that, right? So everybody's ventriloquist. So I know it came from this section of the building, of the room. I just don't know who said it, but yes. What else is at stake? Yeah. He already said our own relationship with God. Say it again. Yeah, introducing them to Jesus. Somebody over here said that. Sounded like Fred's voice. So I zeroed in. You know what all this sums out to be? You know what's really at stake? There's all the things we just sung about. How God's love gives us hope. There's no hope. And so because we figured out Jesus loves me, and we're good at that. We figured out Jesus loves others, and we're good at that. But the next step is we got to figure out how to love others that we don't want to love, that we don't like, because Jesus loves them. When there's no hope, then Christianity becomes irrelevant. And so we have moved from an unchristian culture to a post-Christian culture. I get the privilege of rubbing shoulders and building relationships with people that are unbelievers all the time. Or, <laughs> see that my legalist says, oh, there must be unbelievers because they wouldn't be... Well, this is taped, I won't say that. Because they wouldn't do this, or they wouldn't do that, or they wouldn't do this. They must be unbelievers. And now I'm all of a sudden like, oh, actually, they, they actually might be believers. They say they are. Oh, that's funny, because I had a little very narrow box of what it meant to be a believer. And so I get the privilege now of building relationships with people that are not like me, 
don't have the same views that I have. And it has rocked my world. Because here's what I hear. When the question comes up about whether somebody believes, they don't say this. They used to say this 30 years ago. We used to say this. I just can't wrap my head around creation. Sorry. Nope, I can't believe. I just... I can't understand how, how God would do what happened in the Old Testament. Like, nope, I don't believe. I just, I remember when I was in college, somebody said to me, you know, I don't believe because the, the, the flood. Nah, I can't wrap my head around that. Nope. You know what I hear all the time now? When I ask somebody, hey, are you a believer? They're like, you kidding me? Have you met Christians? The other day, I was with someone and I said, hey, are they, are they, they were talking about a mutual friend. I'm like, are they a believer? And they said, no, they're one of those that have been really burnt by Christians. I hear it all the time. Like, why, why would I want to be a Christian? Because of the way they treat me or friends of mine. In fact, just this week, I was with somebody else who is a believer, and they were talking about, you ever hear of church leavers? There's a book out on it. People who have left the local church but still have a deep faith. Some of us, it's even hard to figure to wrap our head around that. And I was with someone in this community just this past week who was looking at starting a fellowship of believers that isn't church. Now, the problem with that is in 30 years, it'll grow to be a church. But the frustration is we want to be more like Jesus and less like the church. What they mean is less like religion. What they mean is we got to figure out how to love other people that we're not used to loving. I hear it all the time. In fact, not too long ago, I was speaking at an event. 140 pastors at this event, made up of 36 churches. And uh, it blew me away because the whole topic was on this, how to love others. And I'm not picking on anybody in the audience, but what blew me away is the things that we were saying sounded like it's like a new revelation, like we had an addendum to the Bible. And they're writing it down like crazy. Like, what was that again? And we had a little panel at the end, and it came to me, and I said this. And it isn't revolutionary. I have a hard time practicing it, but here's what I said. What if, as believers, we never tried to change a single person ever again? What if we just loved them? I wish I could tell you that people came up to me afterwards and like, hey, Chuck, uh, you got something better than that? That We obviously do that. That's, that's, yeah, give us something more because that's so basic. We're already doing that. But you know what people came up to me and said? Man, we got to get to that point. Thank you so much for saying that. Thank you for making it that simple is that we just got to love people. We just got to. And I'm like, why in our churches is that a difficult message? That's when I decided to make this talk about Jesus loves others. Because that means for you and for me, i got to make a list of people. Maybe it's not physical names, but maybe it's people that represent something that I don't like. And I have to love them. And I have to be where they are. And I have to walk the journey of life with them. I have to show them that their story matters. Or as we say at the factory, everyone's journey matters. I have to show them that. So what's at stake? No hope. And if there's no hope, then Christianity is irrelevant. And there are so many people today that are saying that because of the way Christians are 
not loving them. So how do we do that? We're going to, oh, really good video I forgot about, all right, that illustrates this point. Let's watch this video together. Love. 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 Love in this world is pretty messed up. It asks for a lot and it never returns the favor. Love in my world? Well, it brings more trouble than it's worth. In my world, love has felt like... Sabotage. It flees into the night. It, it, it leaves at the first sign of trouble. And it never feels like, I love you no matter what. Because love in my world, it leaves. And when it leaves, there's only disaster left. Oh, promise is a lot, but it doesn't deliver much. It breaks hearts. I've picked up the pieces of my broken heart one too many times. So I build walls. Love isn't worth the tears. The pain, the loneliness. The surrender. It's exhausting. Even when you try to do love right, love fails. I have made a mess out of love. What good is it? You can't help me. Why love at all? Why do I even try to love? Why sacrifice to carry the burden? Why? 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 Because there is a perfect love. Perfect love that can end the disaster. A perfect love that can heal the brokenhearted. There is a love that saved those who are dwelling in this messed up world. God tells us about it because we wouldn't recognize it if it showed up on our own doorstep. It's a love that takes its time. It's profound. It doesn't brag or badmouth. God's love is like a shield that we know will never leave us. That you can trust. Hoping. And you never, ever exhaust it. That's his kind of love. And it never fails. And while we were keeping records of wrongs, and self-seeking and being unkind, he still died for us. How can I love like that? How can I love like that? How can I love like that? Because I am loved like that. I can love well, not because of me, but because he first loved me. Chatting with someone a couple days ago and tell them about what I was going to share. And uh, I don't know if they're a believer. You'd probably say they're not. I don't know if they are or not. Um, and I was sharing this, my whole outline with them. <laughs> and they said, please, please tell them to start loving people that they don't like. How do we do that? Quickly, I know we're running out of time. How to love as Jesus loves. Very, very, three very simple things, but are very profound. First of all, we have to develop a heart for God. We have to pray like David is. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, no anxious thoughts. See if there's anything wicked in me and lead me in an everlasting way. We have to fall in love ourselves with Jesus. We have to bring back WWJD and say, what would Jesus do? WWJS, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus think? How would Jesus treat this person right now? 
We've got to develop a heart for God because when we do that, we will develop a heart for people. We will begin to see people as Jesus sees them, not as projects, right? Not as people that need to be fixed, not as people that are hot messes and they just need to be like us. But they'll see, we'll see people as Jesus sees them. People that we can love. And when we have a heart for God and we have a heart for people, here's what will happen. We won't have to have Sunday school classes. And I'm not knocking this. Don't think I'm being sarcastic. I'm not. Where we are talking about how do we reach out to our community. We won't have to have conversations on how to inject Christ in that relationship. We won't have conversations on how to love the unlovely. We will begin to just live life because we will have a heart of ministry. We will come alongside people and believe in them and show them that Jesus loves them because they will see that we love them. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much that Jesus loves me. Thank you that Jesus went to the cross to die for my sin and my sins. And God, thank you for giving me this passion to help other people know that Jesus loves them. But God, I need a deeper heart that resonates with you, sees people as you see them, God, so that I can begin to come alongside people that I don't like, that are different than me, that have different views than I do, and be their friend, to help them see that their story, their journey matters, and to love them and not try to fix or change them. And I pray that same prayer for everybody in this room, everybody listening, I pray, God, that while everybody else around our communities might feel that, oh, I'm not going to love that person because they're unlovable, but our congregation, God, we would be out in our community and loving others, whether we like or agree with them or not, that we would love them and show them that you love them.